This is the Horse Radio Network. This is Episode 9 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show, Natural Horsemanship with Dr. Miller and Friends. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the stable, it's every week. They bring you the news through hail or high water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. So sit on down and laugh till your poop, cause it's time again for Stable Scoop. Stable Scoop. Stable Scoop. I am Glenn the Geek. And I'm Helena B. And I'm Colleen from beautiful Colorado. And this is the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. And we have a great show planned for today. Uh, Today's show is all about natural horsemanship and its changes over the last couple of years. Natural horsemanship as a term has been around for quite a while, but I think in the last couple of years we've seen some changes uh, in many ways around natural horsemanship. So we're going to talk about that today. And regardless of how you feel about that subject, I think it's important to explore it. We have some great guests to talk about it today. We have some of the leading experts on the subject, so we're excited about that. But before we get into that, I wanted to mention, Helena, on next week's show, we're very excited to have silver medalist Gina Miles. We got her for an interview for next week's show. So next week's show will be all about eventing. So I'm excited about that, and we're excited to do that interview. And also, Helena, we caused quite a stir last week when we talked about cloning. If anybody listened to last week's show, for those of you that did, Helena and I, the subject of cloning horses came up, and Gem Twist and Cavero 5 had just been cloned. And Helena and I had somewhat of a lively discussion about the matter. Big surprise there. (laughs) Yeah, and I think everybody knows how you and I feel about it now. Well... Believe it or not, the next day I got a call from the company who actually did the cloning, the scientific company who did the cloning in Texas, uh, who actually cloned these two horses, and they wanted to come on to at least get an opportunity to explain it from the science side of things. So in two weeks, we're going to have a show that's all about cloning. We're going to have them on to explain it about the science side, and then we're going to have the other side on, too, to talk about why maybe even from a moral point of view this isn't good. But we thought it would be a good idea because it did cause a little bit of a stir to talk about it and to at least learn both sides of the story and then let people decide for themselves. Yeah, there's good, there's pros and cons to it, so we're going to present both sides and and let you all have at it. <laughs> yes, oh, what after our show. <laughs> it's going to be a good one. <laughs> all, yeah, right. all right. And as you heard, everybody, we have a co-host with us today. We have Colleen, otherwise known as DC, of the Natural Horse Network. And she does a live call-in talk show all about natural horsemanship. And that's at naturalhorsenetwork.com. And we are super glad to have her on here to guide us through this discussion today about natural horsemanship. So welcome, Colleen. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. We are going to start off, and you're going to... We're just, this is baptism by fire here. You're going to start us off with the Reader's Digest version of exactly what natural horsemanship 
is or what it was and maybe what it is today. So take your pick. Okay. So you want the short version. To me, (laughs) I'll make it simple. To me, it's just the art of working, training, riding horses in a manner that works with the horse's instincts and behavior and personality rather than against it. It's more of a partnership rather than a relationship based on dominance. So it's it's working with the horse, and, and that encompasses many different things now. That's not just mm-hmm. training of the horses, right? It's feed, and it's, it's exactly. feet, and feet, and, and all the things that go with it. It's the whole horse, taking what do care you of mean? the whole horse, mind, body, and spirit. What do you mean by um, working... You're working with the horse's natural instincts versus against it. What's an example of working uh, traditional training that works against a horse's natural instincts? Um, traditional would be where they use, um, say, a severe bit, um, something like that, where they are trying to control the horse's behavior f- through force rather than working with the horse in their own language. Okay. So we almost have to become, we we have to become like the horse in order to communicate with them on their level. And now that has progressed into all of these other things as well, the feeding and and the care, the the veterinary care, the farrier care, all of that now has become part of this. I know that part of this from what I was reading is also the, the barefoot riding and, and that aspect, focusing a little bit here on the farrier care. Mm-hmm. And that, is that true? Oh, absolutely. Farrier care, meaning keeping your horses barefoot. Yes. That's part of natural horsemanship. Yep. And then the feeding, what, tell us a little bit about the feeding. What's different about feeding naturally than feeding the way somebody who really just The way people are just taught to feed or they just learn it that way, which is just to buy a bag of feed. Um, The most common is buying grain, sweet grain for your horse, which is very, it's not healthy for them because there's a lot of byproducts and then the amount of sugar in there. We have a lot of insulin resistant horses out there right now. It's becoming quite dangerous I think and so you really have to be aware just like what you put in your body what you put in your horse's body so it's just a matter of being a little bit more careful and choosy about what you feed and try to feed them what's natural to them not what you think they might want you know you want to give them a treat it's not necessarily a sugar-laden treat that's good for them and that's what most treats out there on the market are they're full of molasses and sugar it's not not easy to find healthy treats. Now, you mentioned on your website, naturalhorsenetwork.com, you quote Catherine Berg, <clears throat> wrote a book called mm-hmm. A Healthy Horse, The Natural Way, that traditional veterinary medicine and natural therapies are not mutually exclusive. I think that's a really important point to make, and um, I was wondering if you can just tell us a little bit about how that works in your life and That sums it up exactly how I feel and what we try to bring about through our community and my website is because it doesn't have to be one or the other. They both need to work together in a balance. There are times when you need traditional medicine, but you can also be aware of what you're feeding your horse and what you're giving it. And there are alternatives to some of the traditional medicines, such as, say, Butte. 
there are herbs that you can give. But I don't want people to get the impression that you have to be one or the other. And that seems to be going on out there a lot. Well, if you do this, you're not really natural. And I don't believe that. I think it's finding a balance between the two. So you do believe that what, there's a time for antibiotics, there's a time for antibiotics. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So, and I think that will dispel one of the big myths that is out there. Mm-hmm. That, that there is a balance there. There is a balance. And there are times when definitely you need it, and you'd be foolish not to. We still need our vets, absolutely. So the underlying foundation of natural horsemanship is really common sense and looking, like you said, at the big picture of the whole horse, not just oh natural all the way, you know, my way or the highway and not exactly. just old school, let's control every part of this animal all the time. There's right. a sort of a yin and yang, a balance that you have to strike. But it sounds yes. like there's it's mostly common sense, which as you guys know, there's not <laughs> common sense isn't quite so common. No, it's not. People tend to follow what they read and hear, as you probably know, and there is a lot of propaganda. There's a lot of misinformation on the Internet. So my purpose was to try to bring together people and bring accurate information for people to learn. Because there's a lot of people out there that are new to horse riding or they used to ride and now they're getting back into riding. And it's a whole new world for them. All of a sudden, there's all this new information, and it's very overwhelming. Oh, absolutely. Even for those mm-hmm. of us who've been around for a while, it's overwhelming. Because it new is. stuff comes out all the time, and there's new avenues for communicating in the Internet. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this leads me into our first guest uh, today. Our first guest, and we're excited to have him, is considered the godfather of natural horsemanship. He is a veterinarian. He's an author of multiple books, including Imprint Training, Ranchin', Ropin', and Doctorin', and his latest book is Natural Horsemanship Explained. Uh, he's someone who's really dedicated his life to this. He's been working with horses and solving problems as a colt starter, an equine uh, veterinarian for half a century. Not too many of us can say that. And as a breeder and trainer of horses and mules. I know he's, he's big into mules and he loves mules, which I do too, so that's great. He is one of the pioneers in the concept of natural horsemanship and has worked closely, closely with many of the world's top technicians. What he tends to do is provide the scientific reasons why their training methods work. So uh, let's welcome Dr. Robert Miller. Hi, Dr. Miller. We're glad to have you on today. Thank you. Hey, I wanted to, there's so much to cover on the subject of natural horsemanship, and we certainly don't have time for that in this hour program. So what I wanted today's show to be about is how natural horsemanship has changed in the last few years. Uh, But before we get into that, tell us what the term natural horsemanship means to you. This, uh, what I call revolution in horsemanship, uh, began in the late 70s when uh, Ray Hunt, took what he'd learned from Tom Dorrance to the public. And uh, he showed that uh, you could actually make a better living teaching people how to teach horses than you can teaching horses. And uh, others saw his success and uh, got on the bandwagon. Pat Pirelli, who was a young man at the time, said, I can do that. And Monty Roberts, who had been doing this sort of thing secretly, uh, uh, went public with it. 
so uh, that's that's when it began. It was Pirelli who came up with the term natural horsemanship, and for want of a better name, uh, that seems to have been uh, widely adopted. It, it's been criticized uh, uh, by people saying, well, there's nothing natural about it. It's uh, The only thing natural for a horse is not to be domesticated. Uh, but I think it's an appropriate term because the methods of uh, communication are what are natural to the horse, particularly the body language that's natural to the horse. And uh, uh, it's enabled us to train horses and to get them to do what we want without the use of force and coercion and the infliction of pain. Right, right. And I, I I think that's an important point. And it is interesting to hear a little bit about the history about how that hall started way back when and how people were in the closet with their training methods, methods at that point. <laughs> well, it was very common uh, in the past for trainers to keep their methods uh, uh, secret uh, to protect their their living, or that's what they thought they were doing. And, uh, for example, uh uh, in the uh, 1700s, uh, uh, Sullivan in Ireland, uh, the original horse whisperer, uh, would not allow anybody to watch what he was doing. He would lock himself in a barn with a, a problem horse, and uh, they heard him speaking softly, and so that's why they got the idea of the whisperer. But, of course, he was doing other things. Uh, with the horse, and then after a period of time, he came out, and the horse was completely changed in its behavior. But uh, he never—he uh, wouldn't even confess to the village priest what he was doing. He kept it secret. So this was rather common throughout the uh, history of the horse industry, but not always. There were people that uh, shared their information, either with a uh, a son, for example, or a protege. And there were a few that wrote it down, uh, going as far back as Xenophon and uh, two and a half thousand years ago. But since uh, the majority of the people working with horses were not educated or were often illiterate, uh, this information really never got widespread until, as I said, in the uh, last part of the 20th century. So you wrote an interesting article, Dr. Miller, in 2006 after the whole Barbaro incident talking about the fact that you're not opposed to racing or showing, but you also explained from a veterinary point of view that you are opposed to horses who are started too early, drugged too heavily, or altered for the show ring. And I found that a very fascinating article because I agree with, with almost all of that. There's a lot of talk now about cleaning up some of these sports. Do you really think that it's going to happen, or is it just lip service? Well, yeah, I think it's like the natural horsemanship movement. The historical moment has to arrive. Uh, and uh, we may be, I think we may be approaching the historical mo- uh, moment. There's no question that, as I said, I'm not opposed to racing. I'm not opposed to the showing of horses. But the there's something in human nature that tends for us to exaggerate the things we do with horses almost to a grotesque standpoint. Uh, well, I, I would argue that, that that's not just with horses, the human nature exaggerated. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> We're, uh, oh, no that's question almost about a, it. Look at our financial system. 
<laughs> we did the same thing there. Yeah, a year ago, I would have said, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I just had to throw that in. <laughs> no, there's no question about that. We do carry things to an extreme, and I think our culture is uh, – inclined to do that way, to do too much too fast. That's one reason that we've uh, achieved as much as we have, but there's also a downside to it. But we can take some of the most beautiful performance possible out of a horse, and then we uh, we exaggerate it to the point of grotesqueness. Uh, just to, for one example would be the Tennessee walking horse, an absolutely fantastic breed of horse. And we've taken those gates and we've exaggerated to the point where they are, quote, grotesque. Uh, another example would be Western Pleasure. If you think about it, the Western horse is the cowboy horse. A cowboy would rather walk than ride one of those things. Uh, <laughs> but we we do this for a variety of reasons. Uh, one of them, of course, is money. <laughs> one of the right. primary uh, motivators is money. And our natural competitiveness, too. I mean... It's it, if you take the competition out of horses, what motivation do you have to to bring the bring these behaviors to their grotesqueness? I mean, what gets what, us to to those extremes? Well, that's you have to set a basis for uh, what is appropriate. Uh, right now, there's a lot going on with cross country. For example, they have made uh, some of the courses so difficult that they're uh, they're dangerous, both to the horse and to the rider. We've had people killed. Uh, is it necessary to go to that extreme? Uh, it's funny you bring it, that. It's funny you bring that up because that is our show next week is on eventing and uh, talking about the the meetings they've been having and what they plan to do to to clean that up. So it, it is funny that you just brought that up. Yeah, and we we do this, and this no breed is free of it, and no discipline. Uh, we. We see it everywhere, and as having been in the horse industry for so many, many years, uh, I, I see uh, a tendency to uh, for these things to get worse and worse until they reach a crisis point, and then something finally gets done about it. So, what's uh, the what's the crisis point? What is the crisis point? What, what's uh, it going to take for something to get done about it? I think we're almost well, there. <laughs> I think we're pretty much of, at a crisis. Well, uh, in many cases, I think so. Uh, when we see intra-articular drugs, drugs that are used to treat injuries that are caused by overwork and strain, and they're advertised and promoted as a supplement, like it's perfectly normal to inject these joints. You inject <laughs> these joints to keep them normal, not to, not to treat injury, but to keep them normal. Uh, this this is not acceptable. Not not for, for me anyway. Too much to we ask too much of these horses. Uh, you know, when I was young, uh, and uh, I spent my summers uh, working on ranches and starting colts. What we called a colt was typically a four-year-old, uh, occasionally a five-year-old, sometimes as old as six starting colts. Now we're talking about under two years of age starting them that young, and we know from human orthopedics. Uh, we know the injury that occurs to these young athletes that are overworked. Yeah, they, and- pay for, they pay for it the rest of their life. The difference between the human is you could have uh, arthritic joints and still function as a human being. Right. But when a horse when a horse gets to that state, unless it happens to be a brood bear, it's 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 all over. 
What do you think the, the optimal age is? Is it three years old to start? Is it four? Or does it depend on the horse? Well, there's nothing wrong with starting a two-year-old uh, if you just plunk around on them. Uh, you can do a lot of good. But as I said, the tendency is to, uh, to compete on these animals and exaggerate. And uh, unfortunately, it's, it's all money-driven. The breeders want to move those horses out to the market as fast as possible. The trainers know it's so much easier to start a two-year-old than a three- or four-year-old. It's so much, they're so much more submissive at that age. So the tra- it's, it's to the trainer's advantage, uh, the agent's advantage. The uh, owners of the horse, they're in a big hurry to get into competition and start winning. And even the veterinary profession is profiting by the damage that's done to the uh, the uh, overuse of these young horses. Uh, well, it sounds like we, we have to get natural horsemanship to these people, to these levels of competition and to these owners and to these trainers. It, and you said it's going to take a revolution. How do we start the revolution? And then what do you think is going to be the best way – into the lives of these people, getting treating the whole horse, the natural well, well, techniques. It, How happening. do we get there? It, it is happening. What well, we see is we wanted to see it happen overnight, and uh, it is happening. This this natural horsemanship movement uh, is, as you say, one of the reasons that it's going to change. Because what it's done, uh, if you'll think about the the top. Clinicians. There's only one or two of them that is involved in the showing of horses. Most of them, completely showing. Uh, what they teach is the relationship with the horse, and for many horse owners, that satisfies them. They don't need the ribbons. Uh, they don't need the uh, the ego satisfying uh, uh, wins. Uh, I've competed. My wife has competed, but uh, uh, not when it's going to uh, damage the horse. We think too much of our horses. We don't want to see them hurt. Now, you're, you did a, I guess your latest book, from what I understand, is Natural Horsemanship Explained. Tell us a little bit about what's different about that book than your other books. Well, the first book, uh, Revolution in Horsemanship, that, and that wasn't my first book, but that was the first one that we actually devoted to this natural horsemanship movement. Uh, I wrote that with co-author uh, Rick Lamb. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, it, it was basically, um, I think his orientation, and he contributed half the ch- uh, chapters, was basically the history of the movement. My personal motivation was to... Uh, was to reach the people who were not involved or interested. First of all, there's still a small group that's never heard of it, although they're getting fewer all the time. Yeah, I think expos have helped that. Oh, absolutely. And then secondly, there are those that have heard of it but are disinterested. And thirdly, there are those who have heard of it and are actually opposed to it. And there's still quite a, a bit of that going on. I wanted to reach those people, and the message I hope that book would uh, uh, would give them is that if you don't get aboard this thing, you're going to be left behind uh, because it's better. It's better than what we've had in the past. Now, this sequel to it, uh, Natural Horsemanship Explained, I targeted a completely different audience. I'm targeting the convert, the believer, the including the clinician. I want them to understand why it works because if you understand why you remove the mysticism from it 
it's so much easier. I've worked together with quite a few of these clinicians, done clinics uh, together with uh, with uh, quite a number of them, and I've I've had them make this comment to me. You know, listening to your part of this clinic is the first time I really understand why what I'm doing works. They know it works, and they know how to do it, but they don't understand the scientific background basis to it, and that. That is what I decided uh, 20 years ago was going to be my goal, to uh, give it a scientific basis and, and to make it rational and to help people understand it. And what's the core of the scientific basis? Is it behavior? Is it herd behavior? Is it evolution? Is it genetics? What is it? Uh, yes. The answer, yes. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's the ge- genetic uh, behavior that is evolved in this particular species because each species in order to adapt to the environment in which it finds itself must adapt in three ways anatomically its form physiologically its function and behavior it takes all three to adapt to a given environment and so the behavior is just as important as the anatomy and the physiology and you have to understand that and that's what natural horsemanship has done. It's taught us to talk to the horse in the horse's language, not in ours. Because our language as a species, you know, I did zoo work throughout my career as a veterinarian, and I worked with lots and lots of chips, uh, who sadly are our closest relatives, <laughs> nearly 99% of the same DNA. And in the primates, the large primates, orangs, chimps, gorillas, uh, and we are biologically speaking a, a, a primate, one of the large primates. What we see is a uh, tendency towards violence, intimidation. We strike, we kick, we hit, we throw, we shout. Uh, it, it comes, you see it in children. It comes naturally to us, and it's only a veneer of civilization that takes that away from us. So when humans started working with animals, first the dog, the first domestic animal, and many, 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 many thousands of years later, the horse, it was natural to use force. It comes to us naturally. We have to be taught not to use force, but to use psychology. And that's what this movement has done. And that's what makes us special as human beings, I think, is the ability to overcome our natural instincts and approach uh, working with other animals in a completely different way, one that is not natural to us. Exactly. That's and it's a, unique, it's that's a responsibility. Yes. We cannot ask the horse to assume human behavior. In fact, when it does, we've got what we call an outlaw. <laughs> <laughs> so it's up to us to learn how to – and that is not just happening in horses. It's happening in the dog world. It's hap- In fact, next week I'm speaking to the American Association of Pet Dog Trainers, and believe it or not, what did they ask me to speak on? The revolution in horsemanship. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Uh, and because, so, so I guess your answer to the question would be, in the last couple of years, it has exploded. It's exploded. It's all over the world, and it's in, in countries that you never would have thought it would reach. It's well into the third world now, and I communicate with people in, in the third world countries. Uh, it's going to take some time, but it's on its way because it's better. It works better. And where are you seeing the effects of it, this explosion the most right now? Where are you seeing the benefits of it? Well, I think the most dramatic change I've seen uh, in traveling around the world is 
and it's been in, in the Hawaiian Islands because my first visit there 40 years ago, the horsemanship was so crude and, and so brutal, not because the people are cruel, but because that's what they were taught back in uh, 1832, and they brought three vaqueros in to teach them, the uh, Polynesians, how and how to rope, because the islands were overrun with wild cattle and wild horses that the colonists had brought in, and they decided to harvest them. And those methods became traditional, and now it's virtually completely gone now. Everybody's thanks, into natural Thanks to you and uh, Linda Tellington-Jones, who lives there, I believe, right? Now, somebody just told me recently that she's living there. I didn't know. No, I've never lived there, but I've been there 32 trips. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so last one was their first horse expo uh, last August, and uh, we're doing it again next August on the Big Island. I actually did a clinic there 40 years ago on, on the uh, uh, Parker Ranch, uh, using, uh, they brought in 15 or 20. They had several thousand horses on the ranch at that time. And I asked for some difficult, spoiled horses. I was told by the uh, ranch veterinarian, I don't want you to get hurt. He says, these are really bad horses. And he scared me, to be honest with you. I found they were one of the easiest bunch of horses I'd ever worked with <laughs> because uh, they'd never been approached this way before. They'd never been approached with a gentle hand. Do you think it's better to to get the information before you start handling a horse or to go in blind and just let no, the horse tell uh, you what it needs? Oh, absolutely. Get the information before. Uh, people that are new to it, they can uh, find a clinician they like and uh, uh, go with, uh, with their methods. Uh, I have run into lots of people who late in life got interested in horses and got right into natural horsemanship, and it's remarkable how in about five years, they, how accomplished they've become. Uh, I think I think the best example I can give you is the movie producer Joe Camp, who uh, has done the Benji series. Two years ago, he got interested in horses, and he did a complete immersion into natural horsemanship, spending full time attending clinics, reading the books, watching the videos, and now he's written a book of his own uh, on the subject, and uh, I understand it's selling very well, and it's quite a good book, for, considering that he only had two years of uh, experience. But it shows what can be done if that if you really have the desire. And this was, uh, I think, in his 60s. Well, I'll tell you what, we are running out of time here for this segment, which is sad because I think we could talk all, all talk to you all day. I do want to mention to everybody that they can find your books at robertmmiller.com, and that all your information is there. And, and you, I want to tell you that you, you cost me 22 bucks. Because, <laughs> because because my wife got looking around there this morning, and she wants understanding the ancient secrets of the horse's mind. So, and she's she loves that deep kind of stuff. And she read the by or the excerpt here, and she said, "This is what I've got to read." And Helena uh, knows her, so she'll know that that would be perfect for her. Yeah, yeah. Keller, Keller, there's also seven videos. That I've done. <laughs> oh, great! Yeah, thanks. I think I I think I'll pass on that, Doctor Miller. We'll, we'll hope she doesn't look into the site any further. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. <laughs> All right, Thank great. And so we encourage much. everybody to stop over there, get your new book, take a look at it. And will you come back on with us again sometime? 
Anytime. Just give me a call. All right. If the, if the phone doesn't answer, it means I'm out of town. Okay. It means you're in Hawaii sunbathing on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Miller. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was a great interview, guys, with Dr. I could have had him on all day. He's fabulous. Yeah, I mean, we're going to have to have him back just to listen to his stories. He's been around so long that he has all these great stories to tell about people when they were kids, like Pirelli. <laughs> yeah, the history that he has that he can share is amazing. And who knew about Hawaii? Yeah, anyway. Yeah, I didn't know about that either. That was fascinating, too. And that is where Linda Tellington-Jones lives. We actually interviewed her on the Talking Equine show. That's right. So, and she was a fun interview, too. She is a sweetheart. Matter of fact, it would be great to have them both on at the same time. Uh, it would be a very interesting show to have them both on. They We'd both need a four-hour been... show, Glenn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, next guest is Lisa Ross-Williams, who is a natural horse care consultant. She's associate editor of the Natural Horse magazine, and that can be found at naturalhorse.com. And she's the host of the If Your Horse Could Talk show, which is a podcast also that debuted in 2001. She's been doing this a long time. Uh, she's earned a degree in environmental plant science and has uh, completed the basic homeopathy veterinary course. I know I said that wrong, didn't I? No, you got it. Oh, good. No, you said it right. Oh, good. Through the British... <laughs> through homeopathy. The... Is that it, Colleen? Homeopathy. Oh, okay. Through the <laughs> British Institute of Homeopathy. So she's been around a while doing this, and that is the leading magazine uh, on the subject today of natural horsemanship. So let's uh, say hi to Lisa and see what, what she can add to the conversation today. Welcome, Lisa, to the show. We've had a great show so far, and we're glad to have you on. Now, you're the associate editor of the Natural Horse magazine. How long has that magazine been around? Oh, a little over 10 years, actually. Randy and Jean Peters started that um, really before any of the natural stuff was popular. Oh, okay. And have, what have you seen? Seeing the subject today, we're really talking about how natural horsemanship has changed in the last couple of years and evolved and where we're going from here. What have you seen in doing the magazine as to the response to it, the membership? You know, what, what do you see as the trend? Well, it's certainly growing, um, you know, uh, in, in all natural horse care as well as horsemanship. People are realizing that this is the way to work with horses. And uh, we certainly, I think probably in the past four to five years especially, there's been just a major explosion in people turning to this approach. Great. Now, you do a lot of writing, I noticed, for the magazine, so you're deeply involved in this as well. Oh, absolutely. It is my passion. Um, I believe in empowering uh, horse guardians to, uh, again, a complete natural approach, which, of course, uh, encompasses natural horsemanship as well. And the more information that we can get out there and the more light bulbs that go off in people's heads, uh, the better off the horses are. Now, you, you use the term that probably a lot of people haven't heard used before, and that's horse guardians. Well, you know, when you, when you talk about owners, um, you know, that is, uh, you know, to me, we are their guardians. Um, you know, they're sentient beings, and, and I really don't like to say that I own any living thing. And um, I think that if we can change the way that we look at how we're involved with these horses, then that helps change people's mindsets on how we care for them and work with them. What do you think is the greatest challenge to spreading the word or to you getting the rest of the horse community to fully embrace natural horsemanship? Oh, 
Oh, boy. I, I think it's just getting over the, well, I've been doing it this way for 30 years and generations before me. And, um, you know, I think it's just kind of breaking that habit um, of the way people think, you know, using force and fear and intimidation to make a horse do, um, to get over that and, and to think about how we can work together, how it can be a partnership and, and allow the horse to have a personality and, and a little bit of say-so in what we do with them. So I have a question for you and Colleen both. Have you seen, because expos have been around now for quite a while, and of course natural horsemanship is a great part of the expos and has been for years thanks to Pirelli and, and all of them, have you seen the younger generation embracing this more, the kids that are now growing up into adults? Um, absolutely. Absolutely. And and really that's where we really should be putting our focus so that the kids grow up not knowing the conventional approach. You know, if, if we can get to the kids, then that is natural. You know, natural horsemanship is the way to go and we don't have to break all those bad habits with them. So um, certainly uh, some of the different 4-H groups are starting to come on board, which is fantastic. I agree. The kids are a lot more open-minded when it comes to this. One of the things I did want to ask you about, because you have a, you have a degree in, in plants, um, is a little bit about the feeding aspect. We, t- we touched on it a little earlier, but we didn't really go into any detail with it. Uh, have you seen that change, how people are feeding their horses, change over the last couple of years as well? Absolutely. I'll tell you, equine nutrition is like one of my major passions. You know, I love encompassing the whole horse, but truly without proper nutrition, um, you know, that is the foundation for everything. So I do personally a lot of nutritional consultations, and I try to take the owners back to or the guardians back to what is natural, you know, frequent feedings. Let's use some natural sources instead of, you know, uh, a lot of these minerals and vitamins that are put in commercial horse feeds. Um, You know, let's use some rose hips and garlic and kelp. Um, And absolutely, people contact me from all over the world now wanting to go a little more natural with the feeding program. You you know, it's interesting that, that you bring this up because there are so many correlations to humans in all of this. You know, the, we eat the way we feed our horses, too much sugar, all of those things. Absolutely. And, yeah. and you know, it, it's, we find that actually usually how it happens is the humans start to eat a little bit better, and then they start questioning about how they're feeding their horses or their dogs and cats. Now, with us, it was a little backwards. You know, the horses were first, the dogs and cats were second, and Kenny and my husband were trying to do better feed life. <laughs> Less, less sweet feed? Less sweet feed, <laughs> yeah. you know, less processed foods, absolutely. You know, Colleen, what do you, Colleen, what do you feed your horses? Or how do you feed them and what do you feed them? Well, for a while there I was boarding, which was very interesting because I'd show up with various things like lettuce, zucchini, and people would look at me like, there she is, that crazy lady. And actually my horse, which was a horse I'd rescued, when I first gave her some of these things she was like what is this you know she took the head of lettuce and tossed it out of her feed bucket like i'm not reaction i have to most of that stuff (laughs) you know she had she'd become used to getting sweet feed and stuff like that so once i came with all my little different vegetables and herbs it took her a while but then she just loved it and did she did she have she has variety you know a problem with boarding is that you are 
the people do what they want to do when they want to do it. They'll feed maybe once or twice a day, which isn't really the best thing for a horse. And I think Lisa will agree with me there that it's better to feed them throughout the day, like more natural if they're not in the pasture. Well, that's what their digestive system is set up for, is absolutely frequent feedings. And, and I actually have a book that's being published by Trevolger Square uh, on natural horse care, and I've got a huge, huge chapter on nutrition. And I think of all the, the um, important points of that is frequent feeding because that is how they are meant to eat. And just because humans have changed, that does not mean that the horse's digestive system has changed to meet that, mm-hmm. you know, feeding once or twice a day. So And we, we have a lot of problems in horses because they are fed unnaturally. Have any of the large uh, feed companies, the Purinas of the world, started to to do their formulations better to accomplish that goal, or are they still old school? Um, well, mm, yes um, and no. <laughs> um, I, I think that from a marketing standpoint, yes, they're coming out and they're saying that they're going low carb and that they're trying to go more natural. Um, but whether that's actually true, I'm, I, I don't, you know, they're in it for the money. They're in it to make money. So the big feed companies are not on my high priority list by any means. Did, did I read, you did an article on how to read labels, didn't you? Didn't I read that on your site? Absolutely, yes. And, what is your site I, again? Give that out so everybody can check out all the the cool articles you've written over there. Well, it's my website is naturalhorsetalk.com, and there's quite a few articles. And again, I pretty much cover the gamut, and all of that stuff will also be covered in the book. But even Natural Horse Magazine, which is naturalhorse.com, um, has some fantastic articles by other writers, too, as it pertains to nutrition and, and whatnot. So... Here's a question for you. Um, I also board my horse, and one of the things I'd like to do is he at the moment he is on on grain, although it is low carb. He's also out on pasture, um, but you know, in come October, it is, the grass pretty much loses everything it has to offer. But one of the things that I find challenging is how do I approach uh, my stable managers and say, listen, I'd like my horse to be fed three, maybe four times a day instead of bulk feedings of grain once in the morning and once at night or even hay once at morning and once at night. Um, and they look at it as uh, high maintenance. You know, oh, now we've got to feed mm-hmm. this horse three, four times a day. Uh, how do you say to them, how do you convince these traditional people that this is actually going to be better for the horse and better for you? What, what kind of catchphrases, what can I say to them to convince them that this is a good thing versus a, a high maintenance bad thing? Well, you know, if, if it were me, and I tell some of my clients this, is, is go to them and say, you know, if you want to cut down on the incidence of health problems, if you want to cut down on the amount of colics that we may be seeing, um, if you want to cut down on uh, sand issues, you know, sand colic issues, accumulation, then this is the way to go. And this is not a newfangled thing. You know, the, the national research, um, the NRC for the nutrient requirement of horses, even those scientists, you know, the very conventional people are stating in there that it's important to feed frequently so you know let them know um you know where they can get the information perhaps go and and find some of these articles and books and copy them so that they can see it's not some of these these crazy natural horse people that are saying it but it's also kind of conventional now as a horse husband that used to own a large boarding stable I, i helena you're just a problem child (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I was That's just going to say that. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I was the yes. one that had to go out there and feed those extra two times. 
So, uh-huh. <laughs> I'm and just... you may want to, and I know it's it's very expensive to board horses at a boarding place, but you may want to offer them, you know, a little bit more, and that's tough in this economy, but just let them know, you know, we understand that this is out of the norm for you, but we want to keep our horses healthy, and I'm sure you want to do the right thing, so here's an extra 25 bucks a month or something like that. Right, good point. All right, well, to, to, to draw a conclusion from today's entire show, natural to answer our question was, how has it changed and what's been the effect over the last couple of years, I think we can conclude that the effect is it's growing like crazy. Absolutely. And it's, it's very, um, it makes me so happy because, you know, 12 years ago, we were the crazy horse people who didn't put shoes on and, you know, fed frequently and did all this crazy stuff. And now those people are coming back and saying, wow, we're doing the same thing and our horses are healthy. So Absolutely. People are coming on board. And, you know, I want to give kudos to the women because it's usually the women who make the change first. <laughs> but it really is. I think yeah. that they're more they're more um, empathetic for their horses. You know, they, they try to put themselves in the horse's place. So, you know, again, kudos to the women. And there are men coming on board. And, and pretty soon, I believe, in 10 to 15 years, this will be the norm in horse care. I agree. Well, that's great, and I think part of that, again, comes back to to the kids of today, having grown up with it and seeing it at the expos and at clinics and, and, and all the places they've been. I think that's been... So, so when we asked Dr. Miller what the turning point was, the turning point was probably 20 years ago when these expos and the Pirellis and, and those... I keep mentioning Pirelli because he was one of the first, but when all of the... the when all of those guys were out there starting to do it, that was probably a turning point. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. I think there's people out there, you either love Pirelli or you hate him, it seems. But you have to give him kudos for bringing the awareness to so many people. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how we got started was Pirelli. I went to a clinic and went, wow, you know, this is fantastic. So there's awesome, awesome natural horsemen out there. Some are not as uh, showboaty as, as Pirelli, and I don't mean that mean. You know, you've got your Buck Branneman and your Ray Hunt, those real rancher guys that are doing the same thing, just on a little lower key. And well, they're, they're making big changes. And, uh, Helena, we had Michael Richardson on. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but, uh, you know, he, he does the same thing from a wheelchair. Uh, you know, he, he believes in that same training techniques and, and, and everything that the natural horseman, and he's out there doing the expos as well. You know, I have to say that it also takes a fair amount of courage to try something new. Um, you know, my own horse, I just took his shoes off and decided to go with a natural hoof care specialist, and I was scared. I didn't know what would happen, but I thought, I'm just going to be brave, and I'm going to go ahead and give it a try. And <laughs> it is the best thing I could have done for my horse's feet. And he holds his hoof health for eight solid weeks in ways that he never could have done before with shoes on. And it's a big payoff if you have the courage to try it. I think the payoff is just phenomenal. And then I think that just fuels the revolution that we're talking about. So just a plug for having the courage to try it. Absolutely. Good point. Good point. Well, on that note, guys, we appreciate you uh, being on with us, Lisa. No problem. It was a pleasure. Thank you. And again, uh, throw out there the websites, and we'll also put them on the uh, show notes as well. Well, certainly Natural Horse Magazine, which is naturalhorse.com. 
Um, again, they've been going for 10 years. Fantastic resource. Our website is naturalhorsetalk.com. And, you, and also, believe- you also have a podcast that you put out through iTunes, right? We, we, we actually, um, we have it on the Internet. Um, okay. All the shows are archived, and we've been doing that. We debuted back in 2001, actually. Yeah, you, you're doing this longer than any of us even thought about doing this. Well, you know, it's a passion, and I never planned on educating people to the extent that I have, but once I learned it, I realized it was also my responsibility not only to do it with my own horses, but to help other people learn how to do it. So we love what we do. All right, great. Well, we appreciate it, Lisa. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Right, bye-bye. Well, that was great, guys. This has been a great show. I think we're a little bit over time here, but it was worth it today. I think you'll agree. Absolutely. Yeah. It went really quick. I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> right, Colleen, we'd like to thank you for being on with us today. Uh, you can find Colleen at the Natural Horse Network at naturalhorsenetwork.com. Do you have a set time that you do your live call-in shows? Um, well, we just got into prime time, so we're now going to be doing them uh, usually on Fridays at 6 p.m. Mountain Time, and that's so that more people can attend. I also wanted to say really quickly, I have my other site, Simply NHN, which is all natural horse care products and herbs for horses. Excellent. Okay, so you, you, you actually sell them there? We do. We okay. create some terrific blends, um, alternatives to the commercial feeds. Oh, great. Okay, I wasn't mm-hmm. aware of that. So Can you say the, the uh, link to that site again? It's simplynhn.com. Okay, and we'll put a link to that on the show notes as well. Great. Thank you, guys, very how, much for having me. How can me. people find your radio show? Do they just go to your naturalhorsenetwork.com to find out the times and where to go and how to yeah, do it? Yeah, the best place is to go to my radio page on my Natural Horse Network site Okay. or in our community, and I have all the information listed on that page on how to attend, how to send in questions, that sort of thing. Okay, great. Well, everybody, be sure to listen next week as we have a discussion about eventing with Olympian Gina Miles. And the following week, you don't want to miss the cloning show as we speak to scientists who are actually doing the work. Be sure to subscribe through iTunes so you don't miss an episode. Our show notes can be found at StableScoop.com and our blogs also at StableScoop.com. If you want to leave us feedback, you can send us an email at geeks, G-E-E-K-S, at horseradionetwork.com, or send us a voicemail at 270-803-0025, 270-803-0025. Thanks again, and we hope you enjoyed today's show, and we'll see you next week, Helena. Yep, yeah, we'll be back with the scoop. <laughs>